Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome in to the Otson Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel with me as always on today's show, Wednesday, September 30th, last day of the month or whenever you listen to this the next couple of days later. Uh, sometimes we actually get people that go back weeks to listen to old mailbags. So uh, thank you for listening to whenever you are listening to this show. I uh, want to remind Duck fans out there, you can subscribe today to DuckTerritory.com for as low as $1 for your first month, $9.95 thereafter that. Get the inside scoop on the Oregon Ducks, expert analysis and opinion. Read all the content across the 24-7 Sports Network, all for $1 for your first month, $9.95 thereafter that. Fall camp is literally days away from starting for the Oregon Ducks. Uh, we will have a season that will kick off in early November. Schedule will be released here shortly, meaning it's the perfect time to take advantage of this $1 for your first month, $9.95 thereafter that subscription. Or if you want to go the annual route and save a huge chunk of money, you can do that as well. Build one time for $75.18. You save about $36 compared to the monthly rate paying each month. So uh, if you want to do that, you can do that as well. Now, if you don't want to subscribe to the site, hey, that's okay. You can still support the podcast by giving us a five-star, four-star review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, whatever platform you use uh, to listen to this show, giving us a free review as well would be fantastic. Okay, Eric, uh, Wednesday is here. That means mailbag. And we realize we haven't done done a couple in a couple of weeks, but we're going to dive into this now that it's football season. Uh, we've got a lot of good stuff, and it starts off right off with just who's opted out and you know what, what's next. Yeah, I, it's exciting to do this. This has always been a really fun weekly staple. And like Matt said a second ago, we kind of got away from it. Now that we have football back, a lot of questions focusing on stuff that we like to talk about. And not that we don't like talking about other stuff, but these football-centric questions are very uh, enjoyable and it's fun getting back to it. So yeah, as Matt said, first question from at the KG style, who is filling in those slots left by the players who've opted out? Well, first, um, is the KG style Kelly Graves' burner account? Oh God, I hope so. And I'm, I'm excited that, that K, Coach KG is, uh, is sending us uh, questions here and asking us about the football team, although maybe he can send us some women's basketball questions if he wants to <laughs> talk about those going forward. Or he can come on and answer them with us at some point. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and this is uh, – so um, let's say this. When, when, at the time of this recording, four players have opted out right now. Penny Sewell, Thomas Graham, Dion Lenore, and Javon Holland. Um, it's possible that when you're listening, there's another player's opted out. I'm not, it's also possible that it's still those same four, but just to have that clear going into this. Um, and we've done a little bit of these discussions in the past, but let's jump in at left tackle. Um, and, and let's kind of run through this real quick here. Um, the suggestion from what Mario Cristobal said last Friday um, when he spoke with media was Stephen Jones kind of feels like he'd have the first shot at that spot. Jones, a very talented player in his own right. I think a player who, probably doesn't have the same top three or four overall selection ceiling as a draft prospect as Penny Sewell does, but certainly a player who could be a first round caliber draft pick at some point when his career at Oregon wraps up. 
He was set to play right tackle. I think people internally would say he's probably better fit at left tackle, but you had Penny Sewell there. Um, and so he was going to play right tackle. I think that's pretty logical that he fills in at left tackle. You agree, Matt? Yeah. You know, I look at this as this is Stephen Jones's job to lose. Um, maybe George Moore, a sixth year senior, maybe he kind of pushes his way into the position where he's the left tackle and Stephen Jones can move to right. Um, but looking at it, I, I look at it as this is Stephen Jones's job to lose. And someone else is going to have to take it away from him. And who, you know, there's a couple of guys out there that could, that could maybe do that, but I look at it as it's Steven Jones. And then the DB spots here. And I know we've talked about the corners a little bit in the past. We'll run through this really quick. Not much has changed there. Assuming that Graham and Lenore, and, and we should note Graham and Lenore in theory have not signed with agents as far as we know, also have not. And that those decisions were made prior to the announcement of a season. So I guess it's possible one or two of those guys could be back, but let's just assume that they aren't. Um, Mikhail Wright is a, I think you can put that almost in, in permanent ink that he's going to be one of the starters at corner. It's the other spot where things maybe get a little bit more interesting. Um, the fun part is you're looking at really highly regarded young players, a DJ James, who I thought last year looked really good. Uh, Mario Cristobal on Friday was asked about some of the candidates to, to kind of fill in at defensive back. DJ James was the only player who by name he mentioned. I think that was notable uh, suggests that the staff, which we've already heard in the past, but continue to hear is very, very high on what DJ James, the, the, tr the true sophomore corner, um, what he can do. Um, and then the other name, obviously, Dante Manning, former five-star recruit, just coming into this class, third five-star recruit from the class of 2020. Really high-end talent. Uh, you wonder about kind of how quickly he can he get himself situated here, given the kind of strange nature of everything, but certainly can't overlook him. And then the other player at corner to note, I guess, is TriQuest Bridges. Came in at Oregon as a very highly regarded safety prospect from the state of Alabama in 2019. Redshirt last year, moved over um, from safety to corner. Big, athletic, rangy guy. I think a player with high upside. I don't know if I say, and maybe maybe I'm short, maybe I'm kind of short-sighted here, but I would say I would think he's maybe least likely of the three I mentioned to factor in there, but certainly one that is notable. And then uh, really quickly at nickel before I toss it over, Matt, if he has any follow-up thoughts here, but uh, Javon Holland's departure, we mentioned this a little bit on Monday's show. I think it either comes down to um, do they think Jamal Hill is capable of, of doing this job or do they think of Verone McKinley, who currently is slated to be one of the starting safeties or at least contending for that spot, they feel like they want to move him to nickel where he at least worked a little bit last offseason. So I think that kind of is the, the main players there. I think you feel really good that Mikhail Wright's one of the starting corners and the other two spots, to me, feel um, at least like they're kind of a little bit more out in the air right now. Yeah, I, I look at Mikhail and think he had an argument to be made that he was maybe Oregon's most talented player in the secondary before any of the opt-outs happened. So over a Javon Holland, over a Thomas Graham or Diomede Lenore. So I'm with you. I, I think Lenore, or excuse me, I, I think uh, Michael Wright is basically in ink, one of the the two starters at cornerback. Um, I, I, I agree with you. It's pretty notable that Cristobal mentioned DJ James, but at the same time, there's not a lot of depth at that cornerback spot here. No, you, know, you, yeah. have, you have DJ James, you have JJ Greenfield, you have Michael Wright, you have Triquez Bridges, and you have Dante Manning. You have about five guys to play two spots, and typically you you want five guys, uh, you know, for a season to be able you know, to be available at minimums, ideally six. So it 
it's there's going to be some depth here. Uh, you you wonder about depth. I think Dante Manning is in a position, but uh, I think one thing we fall in for uh, and fans fall for as a trap is we immediately look at five stars and we immediately think this guy's automatically going to be good. He's automatically just going to transition right in and he's going to be a superstar player. And oftentimes that happens, but sometimes there's guys that need, you know, they they need time. They need to pick up the defense. They need to be able to make that transition from high school to college. And that's a, t- that's a tough task, even for a freshman, even for a five-star freshman. I mean, shoot, they weren't five stars, but uh, Javon Holland was the lower rated guy over Steve Stevens and yep. Holland showed up and was able to play right away. Now granted he was a four-star recruit, but Steve Stevens, he has, he has hardly played uh, in his first two seasons at Oregon. And he was, the higher rated guy than Javon Holland. So sometimes it, it it's it's not skill, it's not physical attributes, it's how quickly can you pick things up. And that's gonna be my concern for a Dante Manning. That's gonna be my concern for a guy like Bennett Williams. Uh, another guy I know he's not at at he's at, he plays safety, but you know, these new guys are showing up and they're gonna they're already having to, to play some kind of a role. So I, I would probably say right now. Going into camp, DJ James, the returner, the guy that played in 14 games for the Ducks, excuse me, 13 games for the Ducks as a true freshman last season, I think he's probably the odds-on favorite to be the starter at the other cornerback spot. And then you kind of plug and play Dante Manning where you need him. All right, I've made an adjustment in our show notes here, Matt, on the fly here, because this next question, which we had on the back end of the show, ties in a little bit of what you mentioned earlier. So from at Benjamin Smucker, with Graham, Lenore, and Holland opting out, Will David Davis, or anyone else for that matter, move to defensive back to boost the depth? They seem pretty thin, particularly with, three, uh, with five defensive backs played in their base defense. Um, Matt mentioned this a second ago. I think it's a really valid point, um, especially at cornerback. I think at safety, you've got enough bodies and certainly enough players with playing experience. You're returning Nick Pickett and Veronica McKinley, who each started 11 games last year. Brady Bree started the last four games last year, looked great doing it. You've got a Bennett Williams. You've got a Steve Stevens, um, who are at least highly regarded prep players. Bennett Williams was an All-American as a freshman, or freshman All-American, we should clarify, not an All-American for every, uh, every year, but a freshman All-American back in 2018 at Illinois. So you got a little depth there. But at corner, like Matt was suggesting earlier, I do think it begs the question of, like, do they need to move some players around to make this work? Because if it truly is five players that are playing that position group, um, you're an injury or two away from being in a tough spot. I think a Daywood Davis uh, makes a ton of sense given his history last year of uh, moving back and forth between offense and defense. He kind of landed in the spring back on offense, but given what's taken place, you've now lost three defensive backs. I think it makes, I think it's certainly reasonable to expect you could see him move. Um, I don't know other than maybe a guy like a Verone McKinley who could in theory play just a straight up corner position based upon his size, and, and that's frankly what he played coming in um, out of high school in Texas, uh, there aren't that many other guys that make sense. Um, I know a Jalen Red was a highly regarded cornerback out of high school. I think he was a four-star rated recruit, actually, by 24-7. He wasn't even rated as a receiver. But he's played three years at receiver. He figures to be a starter this year. I think unless he's just not – unless he's just completely losing out on his chances to play – um, offensively, or he feels like he can play both offense and defense, which was something you don't see very often. And actually, Mark Cristobal has kind of said in the past, they don't really like doing that. Um, I don't really see many other options. Matt, do you kind of have any other names that you could suggest that if, if things got really dire or or maybe they are already dire enough, you, you could see somebody moving over there? 
Yeah, I, I think Daywood Davis makes sense to right. to move over to the to the cornerback spot just because is he going to play over Jalen Red? No. Is he going to play over Micah Pittman in the slot position? No. Um, is he going to play over Johnny Johnson on the outside? No. Is he going to play over Brian Addison or or Devin Williams? No. Um, I I think you you look at this and think where's where's Daywood going to make the biggest impact for Oregon as a third string slot guy or as a second string cornerback? Um, I I look at it as he probably has a better opportunity, especially against the teams and the offenses that Oregon's going to face where they throw the ball more. He has an opportunity to play more, make a bigger impact for Oregon as a cornerback instead of a receiver. Now, for Daywood individually, it kind of sucks because this is a guy that's literally bounced between the two positions his entire career and hasn't had any time to really just solidify himself at at one set position and grow from there for two years. Um, so Dave would look, you know, in my mind, I, I make the move now. I, I move Dave would fall camp to, to cornerback. Yeah, I, I think when they start practicing here, I would expect Daywood Davis to be on defense again. Um, and, and I think it makes a ton of sense. And let, let's just for a second appreciate what kind of versatility has meant for this team. You think back to last year, he was set to play corner. He had looked great in the spring and was pushing to be in that two deep. But they had no wide receivers, so they moved him back to offense, and he filled in there. Now now the flip side is true, and he was expected to remain at wide receiver, at least based upon what we saw in the spring. Uh, But they need help at defensive back. Uh, His versatility, I know we talk about this a lot with, like, an offensive lineman, like a Calvin Throckmorton, where they're, you know, somebody goes down and he can slide in and play center or right tackle or right guard or left guard, et cetera. What David Wood Davis has been able to, you know, to provide this program with his versatility, I think it's underappreciated because he's not a starter typically or really hasn't been his whole career. Um, super valuable guy, especially in these seasons where there are you know, positional issues that, uh, that arise. And this is not two consecutive off seasons or two consecutive seasons where he was expecting to play one spot. And I believe you're going to start to see him starting at the other side or on the other side of the ball, excuse me. Um, when a season starts, strange career for him for sure. But I think that gets kind of lost in the shuffle of how valuable that has been for, for Oregon. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, let's continue this mailbag. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, welcome back to the Austin Audible's Mailbag Edition. 
three questions in. I believe we got three more to go. From at Jeff Brosey, are Thomas Graham and Diamale Lenore eligible to return this fall? Hashtag odds and audibles. Um, I think the short answer is possibly, probably, but Mario Cristobal did say on Friday that they, they were working with compliance to kind of figure out this kind of thing. Um, we know both players have made their announcements roughly the same time Pene Sul did about what, two or three weeks ago. But like I said earlier in the podcast, these were made prior to the announcement from the Pac-12, and it's not unthinkable. I think we already saw this with Ohio State, a couple of players who had opted out of the season, opting back in. Um, Matt, any disagreement there? Again, I guess, what's your expectation with those two? Do you think it's possible we see them back, or are you kind of writing them off at this point? I don't think I'm writing them off yet. Um, I I think there's – Crystal Ball would not have mentioned that there were – working with compliance to see what happens if there wasn't a possibility that one or both of those guys return. Um, that's a fair point. I, I don't think he, he throws that out there if that's not in the works in some, in some capacity. I'm not saying that a decision has been made and they're trying to do it. Just Oregon wouldn't go through those loops to see if, if, uh, if it was possible because they wouldn't do that and tease that for the player or try and convince the player, you know, to come back. Um, you know, Oregon has always been at the forefront of saying they're doing what's best for the player and they're supporting the player's decision. All they can do is give them the information and then let the player decide. Very similar to what Dana Altman and the men's basketball team do. They, here's the information that we have about your future. You make your decision, we'll support you either way. Um, I, I, is it probable? Um, I mean, we've seen Ohio State have a couple guys get cleared the big, the big trick here is going to be – I don't really even think it's if they – the issue isn't even if they just signed with an agent. We know Panay Sewell has. That's been announced. Um, but even then, I don't think it's that big of an issue. It's what, what happened after they signed with an agent. Did the agent float them you know, some money to pay for uh, an, an apartment or you know, a place to live in Southern California or wherever they want to train? And did the, did the agent pay for in advance for you – know, some training sessions with somebody and, and does the athlete have the ability to pay that back or what kind of, uh, what, what kind of advances did the agent provide for the player? That's where it gets tricky in my eyes. All right. Next question from at Sega duck 75. Is it possible Anthony Brown now has a better chance to win the starting job since he could potentially play in both 2020 and 2021 based on new eligibility rules? In other words, he is no longer a one-year player. Hashtag odds and audibles. Uh, this is an interesting question. Good question. I, 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 I mean, I knew of the rule, but I never really considered it that way. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I, I think we're on the same wavelength here. We both knew of this possible rule change, but I hadn't thought of it potentially benefiting somebody like Brown in that kind of way here where, yeah, he was a one-year kind of rental grad transfer player. Now he becomes a two-year player. Now you have some potential to see – what he does in 2020, see if you're impressed with what he does there, and then parlay that potentially into 2021. This no longer becomes a short-term only, you know, pickup with Brown. This becomes to have some sort of long-term impact, some long-term effects. So um, I don't know if the staff is looking at things a little differently with Anthony Brown. That's certainly a question that probably we could ask here in the coming days and weeks once we have more opportunity to speak with Oregon's coaches and, and players. Um, again, we don't have an exact schedule for what that looks like, but I'm sure we're going to get a chance to speak with Mario Cristobal and 
uh, new offensive coordinator, Joe Moorhead, in, and he also coached the quarterbacks in the coming weeks here. And I think that's a question to ask. Um, I think, again, my, my gut, and I know Matt and I have both shared this, this thought, is we expect Tyler Shuck to be the starting quarterback at Oregon. But I do think it begs the question here of how is Oregon looking at Anthony Brown now? If he is no longer just, like, again, a one-year rental comes into the program guy and is now somebody you have two years with, could you look at 2020 as a building year to 2021? And if this is a thing where you actually see maybe a little bit higher ceiling with Brown than you see with Shuck, and I'm not suggesting that's the case, this is just hypothetical, is that an avenue they go to? Yeah, it, it, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. And honestly, like I'm not trying to start rumor mill and all of that, but if I'm Anthony Brown, do I maybe consider going somewhere else now? Because I'm a little bit more attractive than I previously was to schools because now instead of having one year, I have two years to start. Um, Fair point. And, I mean, maybe is Oregon the best place for him? Like if it's a clear cut – hey, this is Shuck's job, and, and while they tell me I'm going to have an opportunity to win it, do I really have the, – the, the, you know, am I really going to do that? Am I going to go and win the job? Um, at the same time, from, let's just focus on the question here, though. Uh, does that change Oregon's view of Anthony Brown? I don't think so because if Tyler Shuck was already kind of being viewed as the ready-made player in, in our eyes from what we've heard over Anthony Brown – he still has technically four years. To, to, you know, uh, he, has, he has four total years at Oregon because he's a redshirt sophomore going into the 2020 season. In theory, he would be a redshirt sophomore in 2021, giving him two more years after that. So, you know, Tyler Shuck also gets that year, extra year and that, that, that growth possibility for him. I would much rather have a three or four year starting quarterback over a two year starting quarterback, just because I mean, look at, look at Herbert and compare him at, you know, as, as a freshman to a senior and just kind of, you know, the command he had of that, you, you see that across the board when a guy is, you know, a three year starter or a four year starter at the position, you know, those last two years are pretty, pretty special. Um, so I, I don't think that's in my mind, I don't think it really changes much, uh, for who wins the job, but, but maybe for Anthony Brown, maybe it changes things a little bit. Great question here from Sega duck. And I, I think I'm now going to have to take a look at the roster and see, just kind of take an appraisal now on how that could impact some of these position battles. Interesting stuff there for sure. Uh, moving on here to at windy tree five Oh three of the remaining spots in the 2021 recruiting class in terms of targets left, who is most important slash realistic. And I'm going to read off the number, uh, about seven names here. Sorry, six names here that he has suggested. We'll start with Sierra Wright, Dante Thornton, Bryce Foster, JT Tuomalau, Corey Foreman, and Jeffrey Bassa. Matt, those six names I just read you, um, it, who is the most important and who would you say are the most realistic that Oregon could land? Well, it's funny. We just discussed this on the site. Um, I, I think – the most important is JT Tui Malau. Uh, that's who I said it was. Uh, you had a different opinion on that. I just think JT is a guy that, you know, he hurts every school in the Pac-12 because everyone in the out west wants him. Uh, he hurts your biggest rival, Washington, and he would be the highest rated prospect to enter the Pac-12 more than likely in the 2021 football season. So I, I look at that as that guy. Most realistic, though, 
Um, I would probably side with Dante Thornton because I think Oregon has the best chance at landing him out of all of those players. And he's a guy that's, you know, day one could, could still show up and, and maybe not become a starter, but still be a, a guy that plays in uh, every regular season game for Oregon. Yeah, and I had Dante Thornton as my most important, and I would also say he's my most realistic. I just think you, you had this expectation the whole cycle you were going to get him. Um, and not to say that he's the receiver position necessarily even more important than the defensive line position, but you really wanted to lock this down and, and, and pull in what is going to be the best wide receiver class in program history. You go out and you finalize it with Thornton, and you're capping this now with, again, four top 150 wide receivers. That is unparalleled. Oregon has – Oregon rarely has more than one top 150 receiver in one class. To have four is is really impressive. And I think Thornton is the, the cherry on the top there. And not only that, I think a player who has an immense upside to be a game changer at Oregon. The last part of this question from Wendy Tree, by the way, Matt, was am I missing anybody? Is he, did he leave anybody off that we, we should note? Um, I don't think there's anyone really out there that it's just really outlandish that they weren't included in, in the list. Um, I do agree. You and I also agree kind of how does Oregon finish the recruiting class? Uh, we did a story, a VIP story on duckterritory.com of, you know, projecting who we think Oregon will finish with. Um, we both, by the way, had Dante Thornton on that list. Um, and we've also both said that there would be some surprise recruit. You specifically said defensive lineman. Um, I specifically just said, I think it's going to be some surprise guy. doesn't really matter what position, just because the last three or four years, we've always seen some, you know, late addition uh, pop up to the class, you know, last six weeks or so. Um, and, and I said at the time, a lot of, you know, bigger names, Dante Manning, um, John, you know, uh, Justin Flo and uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, the last two years were two play were three players that in late September, there really wasn't this idea that, Hey, Oregon is definitively getting these, these guys. And, you know, you fast forward three months and they, they land them. So I, I think if, if it's, am I missing anyone? I don't have a name for you, but I, history has said that, you know, between now and signing day, someone will pop up on the radar that we typically have not been talking about. And that was how, that was exactly how I would answer. I don't think we're missing anybody from the main targets right now that we're aware of, but almost assuredly there's going to be some names that pop up whether that be before the December signing period or, or if that's even into the February and, and maybe Oregon, I mean, who knows? Oregon might be full at the end by the end of December. I mean, they might not have much to, to, to look at here aside from waiting on some of these top tier guys to make a decision. So um, it's going to be interesting to track down these last couple months uh, of the, of this cycle. And, and we should note kind of a cool deal where since Oregon has done so much of it on the front end, there's not a lot that they're scrambling for. I mean, they've got this stuff basically locked in here. Now it's just a matter of ensuring these guys actually sign um, their letters of intent in December. All right. Final question from at S dub duck. <laughs> and this is kind of a funny way to start end the podcast, but biggest question is why even bother this year? <laughs> and I, think, I think we're all sort of feeling the same thing about 2020. I mean, the cumulative effect of everything is kind of like, why even try for something like this? Um, so I, I get, I get the thought. I, I guess my first response is a, the players want to play. Um, and, and I think they ultimately are the ones that should have the, the, the decision here. And they have clearly communicated a desire to play. That was something that uh, Michael Schill, Oregon's president and the leader of the PAC 12 CEO group, noted was one of the biggest decision and deciding factors. He said that they were going to vote 
on the possibility um, a week prior to when they did, but they wanted to spend the time to discuss it with players, with staff members, and, and he cited conversations with Oregon student-athletes and football players as a real, a real deciding factor for why they wanted to do it. So I think that's a big part. And then the other thing about why bother is there's a ton of interest from fans. I mean, we're, frankly, we're, we're all dealing with this pandemic and we're, we're staying at home a lot more than we normally are. Uh, and as having a, an Oregon football game on a Saturday in the fall and I guess into the winter would provide, for me at least, some sort of normalcy. I know I'd appreciate that. I'm sure Matt feels the same way. So, I mean, those are a couple of things that are just base things for, for why to even bother this year. And then I guess from a team perspective, you could you still don't want to, you know, miss out on opportunity to get better. And I know this season's going to be weird. Um, we mentioned earlier how it impacts the eligibility stuff. It's going to be a seven-game season. But you can't tell me that playing a seven-game season uh, isn't going to be more beneficial long-term for this program than, uh, than, than not playing any football games and basically not holding any practices all fall. Um, there are a ton of benefits from my perspective of playing this game. I know it's kind of a facetious question to begin with, but just a couple of things off the top of my head. Yeah, I, I look at it as this. Okay, so you don't make the playoffs. That's fine. That stinks. You're bummed a little bit. But at the same time, every single player currently on the roster has the option to return for a 2021 football season in their current eligibility status, meaning if they're a sophomore for like Tyler Shuck, this is a free year. This is a year where he can he can get out all his mistakes and everyone's going to look at it as, oh, well, that was a shortened season. They didn't really get to train properly. Uh, they, they had some issues uh, you know, getting on the football field you know, because of COVID. Uh, there was some, some opt-outs that really derailed the season. You know, they were going to lean on their defense while the offense kind of went through their growing pains. And now the defense was also going through some growing pains. And you know, so 2020 is just a wash. We're not going to look at this as a negative light from Oregon. And, but all that experience, all those lessons learned still apply to 2021. And Tyler Shuck is a sophomore again. And the offense is experienced, but now the same age or the same year of eligibility as it was prior. So I look at this as this is a huge d- developmental year. If, if you compete for a college championship, if you compete and win a Pac-12 championship, that's awesome. Uh, you celebrate it. You acknowledge it. Uh, and, and if you don't, this is a year to get better and, and significantly get better while, while your clock for the one time probably ever in sports doesn't move. Yeah, when are you ever going to have this opportunity to basically have a full season that doesn't impact the long-term nature of much of anything? Yeah, this is, this is that time. And for somebody like Cristobal, who's basically, you ask him the most important things, and he says this is a developmental sport, and what, what better opportunity to develop the players? So, um, I think you have to look at this season that way, and you have to look at it as an opportunity just to improve. And obviously, you want to win every game, and I think Oregon's going to have a chance to be very competitive and, and a chance to win every game. But even if you don't, I think there's a lot you can take away from this year. A lot to get through. Uh, thank you for everyone who submitted their questions. We will continue to take these and do these mailbags every Wednesday, especially now that the season is played out uh, and it is going to be starting here relatively soon. So college football is back. Oregon football is back. And hopefully uh, you guys continue to, to send in all your great messages uh, throughout the entire football season. So for Eric Scopel, myself, Matt Bream, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. 
This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.